everyone's favorite Yellow Canary is back and with an all-new feature featuring himself as king. So, of course, you realize this means podcast. Are you ready, eager young space cadet? Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Hello and welcome to Of Course You Realize This Means Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Graves, and it is my pleasure to bring on the director of the film herself, Corrine Ingle. Welcome to the show. Hi, Jonathan. Happy to be here. Hi, I'm so thrilled to have you. Big fan. Oh, thank you. I cannot wait to talk to you about this film. I found it enjoyable from beginning to end. I, as you heard, I was a little worried about the trailer it kind of aimed down at uh the audience level you and everybody um yeah the trailer again i have i have no say in the trailers or how the film is marketed but the trailer certainly makes the movie seem like it's a lot younger you're invited to a royally loony movie event bark is someone here a long lost member of the royal family hey that's me Meet the new royal family. King Tweety, first of his name. <gasps> now this is for life. Yes. The movie actually is, if you watch, if you see some of the ads, I think the ads kind of maybe get the tone a little closer, but it's, yeah, it's like the trailer will show you how the movie looks, but the movie will be appealing to both young kids, older kids, and adults. Like it's, um, it's a lot more general audience than the trailer would uh, initially lead you to believe. 100%. And you are the first female director, writer-director on a Looney Tunes movie. So congratulations on breaking new ground. Thank you. So depending on what metric you're using, I could be the first female director or the second. So there was a baby Looney Tunes movie. That is correct. And it was directed by a woman. So if you're talking about the whole brand... Gloria Ya Jenkins, assuming if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But yeah, so if you're talking about Looney Tunes, the entire company and everything they produce, I'm number two. But if you're talking about when you say Looney Tunes, you mean the characters in their original forms as adults, not adapted into another version. I'm the first female director. There we go. Perfect. And, you know, shout out to Gloria. I will definitely be checking out that movie. Uh, I I am no stranger to baby Looney Tunes, and uh, I just haven't seen that one. So uh, thank you for throwing that my way. It's from like 2003. Yeah. (laughs) Back in the heyday of Looney Tunes uh, trying to branch out. Mm -hmm. King Tweety is... A, a wonderful, like, brand new take on this character. You throw out the model sheet, you throw out what we think we know about Tweety, and you completely reinvigorize the character with an, a new energy and new comedy. Can you talk a bit about how this project came to be? Yeah, I can certainly do that. So, I mean, one thing is, I would say, I don't think I threw everything out, certainly. it's. Uh, I mean, I think we... Everybody seems... You know, they're like, oh, man, he's so different. He's so totally different. It's like, actually, I, I like I don't even think he looks that different in my 
Well, okay, here. I'll, I'll start here. So, basically, 2022 is Tweety's 80th birthday. So, WB really wanted to have a movie out for Tweety for his birthday. And, Perfect um, tie-in. Yes, as a tie-in. And um, I was working on Jellystone, and then season one of Jellystone ended. And so, it was like, well, what am I going to do next? Because there wasn't a... Uh, they didn't really have a pickup for um, season two anywhere in sight. So, okay. you know, and so my Jay Bastion, my, my boss at WB is like, well, we have a movie coming up. Like we have a premise for a movie. Would you like to, you know, be the producer director? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I'll, I'll direct a movie that like plop a movie in my lap. Sure. Great. I love not having to campaign to direct this movie. And then I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, it's a Tweety and Sylvester. And I'm like, okay. Cool. So they already had the premise of Tweety goes to the Canary Islands and becomes king, and Auga is there, and um, okay, you know, there's cool. kind of a so that premise was already set in place before I kind of logged on, and then but there was no outline, there was no script, there wasn't really much. Like it was literally, it's like they had that, but that was. It, I came on very early, but so like people were asking me like, what gave you the idea to put Ayuga in? It's like, <laughs> she was already there. So it was like, very nice to see her again. Uh, it, she yeah. first showed up in Tweety's high flying adventure, yeah. which is uh, Tweety's first feature film from 2000. Yeah. So everybody's like, wow, I can't believe she's back. It's like, well, actually every time Tweety's been in a movie, she has been there. So there's <laughs> just two decades in between. And this it's quite a while. Yeah, this one is this Uga is a little different. Um, but yeah, so then Eric Adolfson did the first kind of pass on the movie. And then after he did his pass, they wanted me to take a pass on it and do all my stuff. So it was kind of like the first draft of the outline. He did the first draft of the outline. Then I, I did another draft of that outline. And then he wrote a draft of the movie. And then. After that first draft, I was pretty much just writing all the new drafts after that. So, um, you know, the whole purpose behind the movie is they wanted it to be different from the shorts. Gotcha. So they wanted Tweety to look different. They wanted the vibe to be kind of different. You know, so everybody's like, this isn't like the shorts. It's like, good catch. That was the whole point. That's what the company (laughs) wanted. That was the whole point of doing it this way. So, uh, you know, it's like, hey, that's what I was told to do. Also, it's probably what I would have done anyway. But it's like the shorts already exist and we're and they're still coming out. So they didn't want it to be redundant. Also, there were concerns that because Tweety generally plays a relatively passive role, like in a lot of the shorts where it's just like he's just trying to defensively not get eaten, you know, in his own in his own clever way. But still, he's, you know, it's all like that we don't know if that's going to work for an 80 minute movie. So it's like, how do we keep that dynamic going, but also add in new elements that can sustain the entire runtime of a film. So, well, what if, you know, cause it's like, we got Sylvester, we got Tweety and Granny's there and they all live in it. So it's like, what if we just kind of do where it's just kind of a brotherly relationship between Sylvester and Tweety that kind of like they start out as enemies and then become closer as friends yeah and And family yeah a lot of people are like why are they brothers in this movie it's like well they're not they're brothers in that like if you have two pets you call them siblings you know like they're not actually brothers by adoption yeah i was about to say it's like 
And they're like, well, they've never done this before. It's like, they are both pets who live with Granny in many of the shorts. So it's like, we just, she's, we've just never heard the specific discreet word brother. But it's like, yeah, it's, um, so it's like, we just kind of leaned into that, you know, and at the start of the movie, Sylvester's like, Ugh, I wish I was an only child. I hate this. I hate having Tweety around. But then by the end of the film, not only does he have a nicer relationship with his immediate family, but he also has this huge extended family that he's now a part of, you know, and he's, yeah. you know, and everybody's very excited about that. So, um, <laughs> I, I really I it was a nice arc to kind of have going through. And then absolutely. And it's like the other thing you can do with brothers, you know, he's always trying to get Tweety and eat Tweety. But then, you know, when other people are trying to get Tweety, he's like, hey, that's my brother. If somebody's going to hurt Tweety, it's going to be me, you know? So right. you can, yes, you can still have him helping Tweety and then but not like Tweety. And then that can evolve into it's like, actually, I, you know, he is my brother and I do care about him. This is my family. All right, cat. What did you do with King Tweety? I didn't do anything. I'm innocent. We found you in the castle, surrounded by the king's feathers, with him nowhere to be found. Explain yourself. I bet he ate King Tweety. And I bet he ate Queen Ooga too. Uh, okay, those are all a bit out of context. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I, I do want to break all of that down, mm-hmm. uh, but just on a surface level, I thought that the relationships really paid off and really worked throughout the story, and the way Sylvester and Tre- Tweety have that dichotomy of, I'm going to save you, but I still want to eat you. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I thought it was just very fun and playful, and I, you know, I, I thought the stakes were high, and at no point did I think anybody was actually protected by the plot. Like, mm-hmm. I thought anything could happen, which I thought was really refreshing in a Looney Tunes movie. Yeah, it's it's tricky to do that with Tweety because he is historically, like, invincible. Like, Tweety can never get hurt. He's always totally fine. Right, yeah. So it was like, it's like... How it's like, well, how do we logic this so that we are worried about him, even though he never gets hurt ever, you know? And so it's like the stakes are something bigger than him, you know? And it's even though we never see, we only ever see like Sylvester get hurt and not Tweety, but will Tweety be able to defeat, you know, this force and this evil that kind of will disrupt, you know, life on this whole island, you know, with his own powers. Then also like we had to, because the bad guy, spoiler alert, is magic and uses sorcery and stuff. We can't have Sylvester and Tweety doing stuff that could be like considered magic. Like, okay. Yeah. Like it's like, they can't because you know, and a a lot of Looney Tunes, it's like, they can't in this movie, we can't have them like pull out a stick of dynamite out of nowhere because they're fighting a villain who's magic. So it's like, if they have, they can do stuff that's like, it has to be cartoony, but it can't be, perceived as powerful enough to be magic on par with so it was like kind of the rule i gave the story team i'm like they can't pull out a bomb but they could order a bomb online and the bomb could get delivered really fast like (laughs) 
it's like those are kind of the rules, you know. Yeah, like you're just skirting around the the whole like yeah. it can come out of anywhere thing. Like, yeah, no, Tweety I, can pull like something out from behind his back, but it can't be a weapon, you know. Like he can <laughs> pull out like pepper shakers at one point, but it's like it's like yeah, they can pull stuff out of thin air, but it can't be like something that would be super duper useful in a battle, you know. Yeah. So it's to kind of keep the stakes fair, you know. So, uh, Corrine, you've directed on shows like Unikitty, uh, which Eric Bauza was a part of, who's mm-hmm. voicing Tweety and Sylvester in this. You've also worked on Jellystone, as you mentioned, and Teen Titans Go. Those all have unique style choices, and King Tweety is no different. Whenever you're talking about uh, having a unique style and Warner Brothers coming to you, did they immediately know what it was going to look like, or did you have a lot of input into their their new facial expressions and and the whole new model sheet that you went off of. I've been working at WB for almost, I think it, in September, I will have been working there for six years. So, and I've been a director for most of the time I was there. So, I mean, really it was WB knows me. They know my work. I have a reputation at WB for not getting a lot of notes. When they gave me the movie, they were like, just do, just make it, Korean style, you know, because it's like they know that I can like deliver, you know, I, I have years of, you know, evidence of that. And then, you know, and they always they they think what I do is funny and they like what I do. And they, so they're like they wanted me. They're like, please do this movie in your style, you know, and because, again, they're like, we want it to be different because we already have the shorts. Right. So there was that. And then I, uh, in terms of the look, I had, uh, so pretty much my right hand man on this movie who I could not have made the movie without and um, was a huge part of it was Austin Rankins was, um, he was the art director on this movie and we worked together on Unikitty. Okay. So um, I can definitely see the influence. Yes. So there's a lot of Unikitty people in this. It's not like. The crew is not majority Unikitty people, but there's a significant percentage of the crew is from Unikitty. So Austin and I are both from Unikitty. Um, if you watch um, the very last episode of Unikitty, is, uh, it's like the birthday to end all birthdays part two. So I directed that episode in Austin. Although he was not the art director on Unikitty, essentially art directed the last episode of unikitty so it's like if you like the way that looks you'll like this movie because it's the same team and then so uh so austin's like specialties are color and characters and all he knows everything but he's like but he's big thing is color and then we got for the backgrounds mallory carlson who also worked on unikitty with us was the background lead everything is so vibrant and it just it just pops off the screen i love it Mm -hmm. it's uh they are masters of their craft they absolutely know what they're doing and so you know they wanted me to do it in my style but it's like i'm not a character designer so it was like austin kind of designed the characters and then i added on because like i added my influence on top of it basically to start we just were like let's draw these guys (laughs) after looking at each other's drawings we were seeing patterns emerge okay we like this here we like this here one of the trademarks of my work is the characters always have very small pupils um so you may notice sylvester's pupils are maybe a little smaller than they usually are but you can't do that for tweety his whole thing is his he has those big big yes. eyes so it's like finding the balance so it's like pretty much every other every non-canary character has has the small pupils you know they they were like please make them as different as you want but i mean austin and i were both kind of on the same page where it's like if you make sylvester and tweety just a smidge too different 
That's just someone else. Some characters you can make them look pretty different. You still recognize them, but these guys are they're the proportions about them. It's like well, that's just like a different cat. Like if you draw them just yeah. a little bit too. So we wanted to kind of keep that classic look and then just like adapt it a little bit to um, kind of the way both of us draw. And then, I mean, obviously, I think the the character who most people say looks the most different is Tweety. Yeah. But if you actually break down the design of Tweety, he doesn't, he's not super duper different from what the classic Tweety usually looks like. Really, it's so, you know, he's usually that big, big head and then those two cheeks sticking out. So the audience facing cheek, so... Um, if he's like turned to the right, the cheek that's on the left side of his head, all we did was we moved that cheek inside his face. Um, and then we altered just kind of the shape language of his beak so that when it's small, it's a beak and then it, but then it can, it can get big and it may look more like a mouth. Um, but it's like, it's again, the movie's 80 minutes. We need him to be able to do a lot. So, um, and he does, he emotes yeah. in the best ways. They're all funny. And as you're saying, like you can re retain the look of Tweety in this, mm -hmm. in this world and in this style, um, with the, the small changes you made, I think just on, on first reaction, it, because we've seen the model sheet so many times of the classic Frizz Freeling Tweety mm -hmm. and the one that really stuck in people's heads, the cuteness factor, um, mm -hmm. you know, whenever that is adjusted, it just takes a minute to, to recalibrate our thinking. Mm -hmm. But as soon as this movie started, you do something that I thought was really nice, which was put Tweety and Sylvester in a, in a classic scenario of, Sylvester trying to eat Tweety and mm -hmm. and that whole thing like really dips your toe into this world and then comes the invite of or actually the the call to action of you know Tweety is the next in line <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and then we go on our adventure speaking of Fred's Freeling and that early Tweety bird the original creation of Tweety was a foil against two cats with the personality mm -hmm. of personalities of Abbott and Costello in Tale of Two Kitties, uh, which is why we're celebrating his 80th anniversary this year. Mm -hmm. uh, what aspect of Tweety from those vintage cartoons did you, did you like love about the character and really want to bring into this movie? Well, I mean, the big thing that I think everybody likes about Tweety is he's cute. He's our buddy. He's a little boy, a sweet boy. And a gender non-conforming icon. So it's yes. like many, many people are actually surprised that one thing that we were thinking about that when we were making the movie is a lot of people, because, you know, Sylvester's always calling Tweety his brother or, or the referring to them that way is um, people actually like WB was like, actually, that's good to emphasize because a lot of people think Tweety is a girl. So it's like this way, everybody knows right up front um, <laughs> that he's a boy. And it's like, and it's, um, I don't know, there's just something about he's he's very nice, he's very innocent, but he's never in danger. So it's like he gets to be very, very cute, but you never have to worry about him because he's he's going to be fine, even though he looks so fragile. Um, yes. Yeah, it's just like, I mean, like, I don't know, he's he's funny and he, he's got that big old head and those big, big feet and, he, and the feet go do 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 and walk so <laughs> fast. Um, and it's just, and he's always having a nice, he's always having a good time. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's just like a little party, you know, wherever you go. <laughs> I couldn't and agree then, more. 
Yeah, we just wanted to kind of take that, and then with the adjustments we made to the design, kind of my philosophy for always is this, is because it's the target audience is kids, the movie's for kids. So, and I was about to say, if you're a kid now, this is the only Tweety movie that was made in your lifetime, because the last time Tweety had a movie was 20 years ago, so those people are adults. Um, <laughs> and uh, so kind of the philosophy kind of driving the design is I always, this is what I always do is if a child who's just learning how to draw wanted to draw him, could they, you know? And the original kind of character sheet for Tweety is he's deceptively difficult to draw. You have to get those proportions real, right? This Tweety is a lot more accessible to um, a kid who's learning how to draw because that's, when I was a kid learning how to draw, that that was a big thing was I was always drawn to shows specifically where I could draw the characters if I wanted. If like when the designs were accessible sure. and that's what really got me into cartoons. So I'm like, I always want oh, so to remove that, like any unnecessary barriers. So it's like, um, I think people kind of had the same criticism about uh, Thundercats. Um Thundercats Roar when it first came out. Yeah, like, Man, why do they look one. so different? And I'm like, I love it because if I was a kid, these guys would be so much easier to draw. And, you know, <laughs> so it's like, oh, look how friendly these designs are. And I don't mean like, hey, I'm your friend because some of you know, the bad guys still look like bad guys, but I mean, friendly in that the threshold of skill that you need to be able to draw. And not saying that you have to be unskilled to draw, but I mean, like a kid who's just learning how to draw could, the shapes are a lot more you know, accessible to totally get it. Yeah. A new drawer. That's, that's such a unique perspective. So that was the same idea we did here. Well, I love it. I hope we get more in this universe. <laughs> I mean, we, we know from the announcements that it just kind of came out that a glut of Looney Tunes content is on the way. Yes. Um, but I think it's, I, I think they may want to give more, more other characters a turn maybe before we, we come back to these two. But I mean, in terms of things in my style, yeah, I'm still at WB. So um, it's not uh, totally out of the question. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. The, so you also wrote this and you have some really fun lines in here. You have homages through character names. You have a Melanie mm -hmm. Blank and a John Foray, which are mm -hmm. wonderful uh, homages to Mel Blank and June Foray, the original mm -hmm. voice actors of Sylvester and Tweety and Granny, respectively. And you put the president in this. You put Jimmy Carter in this. <laughs> well, so here's, do you want to know, if you guys want to know a, a Hollywood secret, Whenever you want to put a famous person in your cartoon, you have to get it cleared by legal. But if they are a figure in government, like a president, you don't have to. They're, that is a public domain person. So presidents are, you can get presidents in cartoons way easier than you can like movie stars, you know, or other people. So... It was in the original, in the very first draft, like, they're like, it was, you looked on Tweety's tail and he had like a mark that looked like a heart. And I'm like, ah, but this could be so much weirder. <laughs> uh, and so, and then it was just like, well, let's do a president because it's easy. I don't have to, legal doesn't have to clear a president. Presidents are in the public domain. And Jimmy Carter was um, the president that 
would get the least amount of people upset. So <laughs> it is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. So that would, also, it's like he might see it. So like, <laughs> that would be a joy. Yeah. So yeah, and then with Melanie Blank and John Furay, so that was funny. We did use those names, but we had to take multiple passes on the spelling of the names. Uh, well, John John Furay was cleared right away, but Melanie Blank, we had to change Melanie's the spelling of Melanie and of Blank to get it legally okay to use, even though the name is only ever said. I don't think you ever like the only time you see the name spelled out is in the credits, like right, right. Or, Nicole being credited as being her, but it's like her name spelled. It's not an I E at the end. It's an E Y because the the more common spelling of Melanie was like a, a real person, so we couldn't use that name. So fascinating how many yeah. loopholes you have to clear to uh, mm-hmm. to just put in a fun little reference into a movie. <laughs> I mean, it's tricky, but it's fun because sometimes you gotta you know do a little bit of dancing but if it ends up weirder than before, that's funnier. So that's you know that's a plus. Well, I thought it was hysterical, and yeah. uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. kudos to the team on on finding the right look for the the image on the tail, and yeah. for you coming up with Jimmy Carter. It's it's well, just those, so funny. I mean, the other thing is those types of references are like a trademark of Looney Tunes. Like whenever people in school, when they're talking about like the big differences between Disney and Looney Tunes, one of the big differences is that. Um, Disney doesn't really make references to like outside current stuff, but Looney Tunes did, you know, yeah. Looney Tunes would reference like actors that were famous at the time and historical events that had happened. So I wanted to do that a lot, but also like I grew up watching Looney Tunes cartoons and I love making references to things outside of the cartoon that you wouldn't necessarily expect or are particularly timely. Like, and I think the reason I like doing that is because I developed a taste for it from growing up on Looney Tunes cartoons. Like that's, I watched as a kid. I thought it was so funny, even when I didn't know what they were making a reference to. Um, (laughs) But it's like, because it's like, I may not know what this is, but I understand that it is a joke. So I'll look this up later. And then, so we wanted to do, I, or I wanted to do that a lot in this movie because that's what Looney Tunes does. And I feel like they're not doing that a ton in the shorts. I wish they would do it more. Yeah. So it's like, well, if we want to be different than the shorts, this thing's a Looney Tunes thing. So let's lean into this more. Granted, the things I'm making a reference to are not the most obvious things for a kid or for anybody, really. I mean, the <laughs> because again, it's like I always want to it's like you want to make it weird and references are fun. I think probably off the top of my head. Um, I don't even know if any, like, you'll probably catch it easier if you're doing the subtitles, but, like, when Sylvester gets interrogated by the cops, they, afterwards, they throw him in the De Laurentiis budgie prison. Um, I don't know how many people caught that. And then when he's in the prison, there's just a bunch of, like, parakeets hopping around. And there were a couple people on the crew, like, why are there parakeets inside the jail cell? I'm like, well, if you've seen the movie Barbarella... (laughs) there's a scene where she gets sentenced like for her crimes and her sentence is they're like we're gonna throw you in jail and you're gonna be pecked to death by birds and then they put her in this futuristic jail cell with like a tube that pumps in all these birds but the only birds they pump in are parakeets 
Because <laughs> it's like, okay, this was obviously the only type of bird that was available that they could afford. Sure. But these birds are not dangerous. Like, they're tiny. Not in the slightest. They're, their beaks are for eating little seeds. Like, these, <laughs> these birds are herbivores. So I'm like, and I love that movie and I love that scene. I love how stupid it is. And then I... I figured, well, they won't let us say Barbarella Budgie Prison because that's a movie. <laughs> but if we say De Laurentiis Budgie Prison, that's just the producer's last name. Right. And well, that you, could be yeah. anybody. Also, it sounds funny. Yes. And I had to explain all of this to legal. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, have you seen Barbarella? Well, she goes to jail. There's budgies inside. And it's very funny because that would never work. So it was a trick, was it? You should have saved your tricks for, for... For the birds, your majesty? Yes. Yes, the birds. The birds. Give it to the birds. Sounds good to me. And then that's in the movie. But even if you don't get the reference, the budgies are funny. You know? Yeah, so, I thought it was funny. I mean, did I write most of this movie between the hours of 2 and 4 a.m.? Like, over the course of a few weeks? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> If you see something in the script and you're like, well, that's kind of a weird choice. I wonder what made her think of that uh, isolation. <laughs> a, a absolutely <laughs> devastated sleep schedule. Like it's, uh, I think it was to the movie's benefit because it's like, oh, we got some silly stuff. Lockdown did a number on all of us. Uh, sleep yeah. deprivation was definitely a part of it. But to continue on the, with the references real quick, some of the more notable ones that I found mm-hmm. were obviously the Hannibal Lecter where... Sylvester is being mm-hmm. wheeled into the interrogation. The Back to the Future homage, which had me cackling because Granny mm-hmm. pays homage to Back to the Future with this wild line <laughs> that it's we very- don't happen to require streets. It's almost as if every <laughs> word is different enough. <laughs> but I thought it was funny because I thought it was Granny, yeah. like with her own sensibilities, coming up with the, yeah. the same idea. And In the credits, you have a wonderful little homage in sticker form with Awuga uh, looking at the in New York and the Statue of Liberty behind her with the Home Alone face. So that one's funny that you bring it up. That was inadvertent. I didn't do that on purpose. So I I drew all those pictures and I just like, this is a funny picture. She's so excited to see the Statue of Liberty. And then you're like, I love this Home Alone. I'm like, oh, I guess it's Home Alone. (laughs) Whoops. Like, so I didn't plan that one. And that that's happened a couple times throughout the movie. Uh, Some of my friends were watching it and they're like, hey, was there like a Skyrim reference when Tweety wakes up in the birdcage, like on the ship? I'm like, what are you talking about? And it's like, yeah, it goes from a, they're like, it's the beginning of Skyrim. And I'm like, I did not do that on purpose. But then I watched it. Tweety, wait, I mean, for those of you familiar with the Bethesda game Skyrim that came out, I don't know, like 10 years ago, it it opens up with, you're like on a cart going to get executed for some sort of vague crime. But you wake up, it starts with a black screen, you wake up and a guy is like, oh, hey, you're finally awake. <laughs> um... That's how that, so Tweety wakes up, it's black, we see his eyes open, his world comes into focus, and then Auga is there, and she turns to him, and she's like, oh, hey, you're finally awake. And I didn't do that on purpose. I didn't even think about it until my friend pointed it out. So, I mean, granted, do lots of, like, scenes where somebody got knocked out start like that? Like, yeah, that's adorable, but, like, 
inadvertently it was exactly <laughs> that. So, I mean, probably most of the references you see will probably be on purpose, but like anytime you do any movie, there's always like a surprise thing. There's like, haha, I caught what you did. Very sneaky. I'm like, I didn't try to do that at all. Just little things like seep in into our, our mentality as a, as a creative, yeah. I think. So any, anything that you yeah. put in front of your own eyeballs is going to filter itself in, in some way into either a script or. Yeah. Art. I mean, if, if you caught that and, and you're like, wow, what a genius reference. Then yeah, I did it on purpose. But um, <laughs> well, I'm glad he didn't get executed. Yeah. But his cake version did, and that also yeah. was a really funny joke. Where you have that was I think that was one of the first jokes I came up with because I wrote the movie out of order. So it was like, oh, it'd be funny. I mean, the cakes were very popular in the zeitgeist uh, when I wrote the movie. But also, I I just have always thought it's funny when a cake is something else even independent of that sure. <laughs> going around before that but also it's all like ooh, this is scary for kids in a way that's just okay enough you know so it's like that's about as violent as we can get because there's rules about even showing characters using knives outside of a kitchen but i'm like this way we can use it because there's cake um well, let's talk about Sylvester yeah. for a minute. So Eric Bowser lends his voice to the feline for the first time here. And I thought he captured the essence of Mel Blanc impeccably. Uh, he's famous. I mean, Mel Blanc is famously known for uh, being the closest in vocal range to Sylvester. And I thought what Eric did was like, it sounded so much like Sylvester to me that I was transposed into this world of, oh, I'm watching my favorite cat <laughs> and, uh, and bird uh, in this in this adventure. And um, his vocal range is so unique because he's doing both Tweety and Sylvester. What was it like directing mm -hmm. him and like how much did he crack you up? Oh, I mean, directing Eric was very easy because I've known Eric for about a decade. Um, so when I was in college, he was one of the voices in my senior thesis. Oh, cool. Um, and then I've been working with him on and off since then. He was Master Frown on Unikitty. And then he was tweeting Sylvester on this. And the cool thing about Eric is uh, I'm always very particular about my line reads. I, I've, I've been my whole career, you know, where it's all like, you know, you can you can make a line that isn't funny, funny by saying it a certain way. You know, so I always I'm I'm very particular about all that. Um, if you watch the animatic for this movie, there's a cut where I'm every voice, you know, because we have to do scratch first sure. for the animatic. And when you're and normally when you're doing scratch, you know, you'll get a handful of people on the crew to be the different characters. But when you're on quarantine, coordinating that is a nightmare. So I just, you just have one person do all the scratch. So there's a cut of this movie where I'm every voice <laughs> in the movie. Um, I mean, like, and it sounds like me, like it doesn't, I'm not like doing the voices. Like I'm performing them. I'm not, successfully <laughs> recreating the, but as I say, I'm doing the, the cadence and the, um, the tone. And um, well, you, you did stick yourself in the movie as Florbo. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You did catch <laughs> that. I'm well, here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm a Florbo with sound effects. So I was about to say, if it's a sound effect, I, I can do a sound effect. So as I would say, that sound effect is me. Yes. Um, but, uh, Eric, um, if you tell him it's like, uh, if he hears a line, he he could do like the lines of Scratch where it was like, we really, really like the way this one sounds. Can you do it that way? He can do it perfectly in one try. And then the ones where it's like, this one we don't really care about as much. 
he'll do his own thing that's also perfect. And he does it right away with perfect Tweety or Sylvester voice. Um, and it's, um, it's amazing. I don't know. It's, uh, he is a scholar. He knows these voices far better than anybody I know, you know, who's certainly better than me. So really, I'm just kind of there to give him the context and maybe like the motivation that Sylvester is feeling. And then I just step back and just let him do his thing. Like, it's amazing. I don't know how he does it. It's amazing. Like, he can do every voice you can think of. Like, it's it's nuts. And yeah, he's both Tweety and Sylvester, which is crazy. Yeah, he's a modern master. And his delivery of, yeah. you know, this birdbath, this pillow. <laughs> like that whole thing. <laughs> yeah. This pillar, this birdbath, this plush carpet is for me. Being king is the greatest. Can you talk about the the gag work and and how much the voice cast lend itself to making those gags work, or did they did they work from the get go and like you were just like punching them up? I mean, they they were. I mean, I'm not I'm not gonna lie. I'm gonna chew my. They worked from the get go <laughs> for the most part. Um, I mean, unless it was like a new like. Do the voice actors all, did they all make new jokes out of new stuff? Yes, I was going to say. But that one where, like, Tweety's saying, like, this is for me. This is yeah. for me. That was that was there from the get-go. Because I, I, I was going to say, that was also one of the scenes that I boarded for the movie. Nice. So it's like. I love that he kept um, coming back to the I, I always board chunks. Yeah, even even though I'm not the, a board artist anymore, I'm, I'm the director. I still, as as a director, you know. The board artists already have so much work to do, so I always take like a handful of scenes and shots for myself. So that was one one that I did, but it was he's so excited that he can't believe that room is his, and that's exactly <laughs> he can't. Also, just the idea of being on vacation at that time was like so unbelievable because we were all on lockdown. So like, <laughs> everybody, but that was I was going to say that you take it as far as you can with Tweety being like, "This is for me. This." <laughs> It's for me. It really filtered in. And then it's like, we stop it. We stop it right when we, st- like, it's like right when somebody might start to get tired. It's like, and the scene is done. You know, you take it right up to the, like the top spinning an inception. Right. You know. So this voice cast, you have uh, Eric Bowser, as we mentioned, Flu Laborg, uh, Carlise Burke, John Daly, Dana DeLorenzo, Ricky Lindholm, and granny herself candy milo who cracked you up the most during recordings and what a joy was it to have this cast well it was a huge joy i couldn't believe like we got this cat like this is my first time being a producer like when you're a director for a tv show you basically you're responsible for individual episodes at a time and you can direct the actors when they're doing it but when you're a producer the producer is the person who picks who everybody's going to be. So like, this is my first time picking actors, you know, and hiring people. And, um, when, you know, and as you send these character descriptions off to the voice director, Wes Gleason was our voice director. He's, I worked with him on Unikitty too. He's the best. He's so nice. And he absolutely knows this stuff. And, uh, we, we vibe. So he was an obvious choice. And, um, so what we do is we send character descriptions and then like maybe clips or chunks of the script out. And then he basically gathers, he gets a bunch of auditions and then he picks the ones where he's like, these are the best ones. And then us at WB look. So I would look through it. And then also the execs also had a say. So I basically went through every group and I nominated 
here's who I think probably the best fits for the character are. And then the execs would most of the time be like, cool, sounds good. Great. And then, or sometimes they'd be like, like I'd give them, I'm like, I think both these two people are good. Pick your favorite. And they'd be like, we like this one. So cool. We do it kind of that way. But I got the auditions back. Really. It's just like, we're sent a zip file with everybody. I could not believe like, wow, I can't believe these people auditioned for this movie. Like I can't, (laughs) Like, I can't believe it. You know, it's like, I'm like, I know who these people are. I, I know their work. I'm fan. I, you know, I'm a fan. I These guys are great. And I'm like, wow, I, I can't. Oh, I'm a nobody. I can't believe they're working for me. You know, and then the first record we had was Dana DiLorenzo. And she was just like, I can't believe I got picked. A Looney Tunes movie? This is a dream. I, I can't believe it. I'm so excited I'm here. Wow. I don't even know if I deserve to be here. So really, wow. it was. I love that. The same feeling on both sides. And that was every voice actor after that was like, wow, I can't believe I'm going to be in a Looney Tunes movie. And meanwhile, I'm like, wow, I can't believe these people. (laughs) It's like, yeah, everybody's excited because it's Looney Tunes. That's so exciting from both sides. That's awesome. When it comes to who cracked us up, they all cracked me up. That's why I hired them. (laughs) They're all very funny. Everybody's great. All of them really kind of knocked it out of the park. And um, I, for Sylvester, Tweety, Granny, it's like, we know what's going on. These characters exist. But for everybody who, like, didn't exist yet, um, the characters that were, the like, the when I was listening to the auditions, the two that popped out the fastest were the two cops, uh, Officer Nuts and Officer Seeds. Like, when I heard them, yes. that one was like, I don't even need to think about this. I know who the correct answer is. Um, <laughs> so Myelin Robinson is Officer Nuts and Mark Witten is Officer Seeds. You know, I, I'm the one making the decision, but, like, everybody in the production was uh, able to go into the folder and listen to all the auditions, too. And uh, everybody was like, wow, these two sound exactly like, like multiple people on the crew were like, that's exactly what I thought they were going to sound like. And, um, and for, I think it was Maya's first time ever doing a cartoon. So this is her first cartoon. Oh, wow. And then Wes, I mean, I may be remembering this wrong, but then when it came to Mark, Wes was like, yeah, he's kind of new to the scene. I'm really glad you picked him. I, I come to find out that he's like, so I'm like, oh, okay, this guy must, this must be like his first role too. Like this guy's kind of new on the scene. I find out like if you watch Demon Slayer, he's the English voice of Rengoku. If you play Fire Emblem, he's Sedith. And I'm like, these are two beloved characters. And I only found this out like <laughs> when the movie came out. Because sure. I was like tagging Mark and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I've heard Mark's work all over the place. And I... So it's like, I didn't know he voiced it. Like, I'm familiar. I granted Rengoku I didn't know about until after the movie was all done because I didn't start watching Demon Slayer until after. But, like, I played Fire Emblem. And so it's like, oh, I was hearing this boy's voice all the time. I had no idea. Um, so it was funny. So it was like, I just, I picked him because he sounded like Officer Seeds. You know, I... <laughs> I love the cast. I love how they, they brought life to yeah. these characters. Um, but if you want to wanna... know who cracked us up the most... Again, everybody cracked us up a lot, but Flula was so good. Uh, he's so funny. Um, probably my biggest regret about this movie is that I did not, after figuring out that we had him for Harold, write Harold into the movie more. It was kind of like, at this point, it was too late to kind of make that big of adjustment, but it's just, boy, oh boy, he's so funny. Um, yeah. And... You know, I, I'd work with Flu. I mean, I'd work with anybody again on anything, but Flula especially because I feel like we only got like a teeny tiny taste of him on this movie and we want more. 
We do one um, more. Like, so these records, because again, they were happening during the height of super quarantine. They were all done remotely. So I was on Zoom. Wes, the voice director, was on Zoom. So he wasn't even physically there. So it was just like the recording studio, the actor would be in there by themselves. And then there'd be one masked sound engineer. So everything was mostly conducted over Zoom. And for most of it, it was just like me and Wes and the execs if they wanted to sit in. But when it was Flula like recorded on a Friday and like there were so many people on the crew, I'm like, you can come to a record if you want. Like everybody can come to one, you know, we got time. Everybody came to Flula's. So there were like (laughs) 20 people in the Zoom. He's like, wow, there's so many people here. I'm like, everybody was very excited to see you, you know, like, um, and so that was, it was, everybody was very excited. I mean, also, you know, it was, he's so good. He's so funny. And his ad libs are excellent. So he's Harold. He's also the, the fish that sings fish town races. And then like a bunch of right. people, like you'll hear like a bunch of people in crowds just kind of shout all the actors, but it's uh, there's a lot of flula in the crowds just shouting or like, just like, just say something funny. Like Tweety's walking down the, you know, the hallway at his, coordination ball say something funny and he gave us just like a whole slew of stuff he's uh he's so funny across the board you have really great talent mm-hmm. but also the way that they are embodied in these characters i thought it really leapt mm-hmm. off the screen and i would have i would have paid money to see this in a theater because yeah, we don't have too. enough well i should i should be theaters, able to see it for but... free but yeah i wish it was in theaters <laughs> Um, it would have been fun. It would have been fun uh, I mean, to you, watch this with a big audience. Screen at your house, you know. It's uh, that's true. Yeah, it's um, yeah. DTV. It's the DTV budget, but I, I don't think it looks that. I I think it looks a lot more expensive than you would expect for a direct to video uh, movie. No, great, sure. absolutely, and also there's a great soundtrack to this. Not yes. only is it. Uh, have musical elements there there's a full-on song that you wrote mm-hmm. for this film but also you have a collaboration with the nick keller mm-hmm. band no and... it's, just, it's just nick keller uh oh it's just nick keller <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little easy. nick keller on social media he has nick keller that's just like pictures of him and then if for his professional twitter it's nick keller music gotcha so it's like his um yeah, it sounds like, yeah, Alan Parsons Project. No, it's it's just one guy. It's just, it's Nick. And then sometimes his his fre- his uh, work partner, uh, Petro, sometimes. But mostly it's just Nick, and then Petro comes in sometimes. His buddy who also does something. So yeah, Petro helped out on uh, Everything Is Going Our Way. And then the music is, yeah, composed by Nick. So Nick and, uh, surprise, Nick and I worked together on Unikitty. Uh, Nick was the composer for Unikitty. He did all the music for Unikitty. So I've, I've been working with him for a while. Wonderful. So I know his um, I know his little vibe. And he can do any genre of music. He's so super duper talented and he can do anything. Music slaps, for yeah, sure. The music's really good. Um, it, during uh, the Meow Meow Treats for Cats ad, that's Nick uh, singing. So you can hear, okay. you can hear him go. singing there. And you um, helped write that one, right? <laughs> yeah, I wrote, I wrote the lyrics for it. Um, so originally that was a, um, a Cars for Kids kind of parody. But then okay. we real, and then I found out kind of late in production um, that uh, Cars for Kids is regional. Um, people all over the, like, so in LA and California, people know what it is. But outside, they don't really have it. So I'm like, uh, let me change it. So we just, I made it, it's the same level of annoying, but now it's just... Uh, 
for uh, cat food. And so we, we switched <laughs> it right. At, we switched it right at the end. But so yeah, kind of. So yeah, I wrote that one just because it was a stupid jingle, you know. And Nick put it to music. So the way Nick and I usually work, the way we worked on Unikitty and on this is when we write songs together. So I write the lyrics, and I'm not a like I studied music in school. I was in marching band um, and stuff. So it's like I have a sense for music, but I'm not like a musician and I don't know all the theory. You know, it's like I have more knowledge than a layman, but less knowledge than a professional. So it's like, I'll write the lyrics and then Nick will do the music to the lyrics and then we will tweak the number of syllables like in each nine as as needed to uh, work with the music. So it's kind of like an Elton John, Tim Rice deal where one of us does the music and one of us does the lyrics. Nick does lyrics too, but usually for my stuff, like Nick... Uh, a lot of times he'll write lyrics and I'm like, ooh, these lyrics are too good and sound too much like a real song. Can we make them <laughs> stupider? And then I'll, I'll write, I'll do stupid. A lot of times it's, I, I just give him lyrics and he makes music and then like I'll give him lyrics and a vibe and then he'll just kind of compose a masterpiece. One of those masterpieces is Everything's Going My Way, as you mentioned, yeah. written by you, Nick, and Petro, mm-hmm. uh, and performed by Eric Bauza, John Daly, and uh, Dana uh, De Lorenzo. like Iza as a character as yeah. well um shout out to her, that character but i i keep telling eric he's gonna win a grammy one of these days yeah so can you talk about the this song and and making it sound so wonderful in this movie well that's all that's all nick um he's he's doing the mixing and the tuning and the song was so this was interesting we actually the we had temp music for when we recorded and then we recorded a kind of like there was an amalgam of songs that already existed of kind of like city pop stuff. And then Nick, because of the time crunch and the way things were working. So everybody sang to a temporary version of the song and then Nick using his magic kind of like when he came time to write the original version of the song, Nick was able to take their singing and his music and kind of like magic. I mean, it's magic to me, but like science it together (laughs) into a song yeah. that works and sounds really good i mean it's also like eric not only like has to sing but he has to like sing in tweedy's voice yes not easy to do and then it's also we have to pitch his voice up because that's how that's how any anybody who does tweedy it's always it's you do bugs bunny but cute and then you use yes. a computer to raise the pitch so it's like we have to do it in a way where yeah the pitch is going to go up and then we also have to have it still work in tune with the song. So yeah, it's all about, I mean, that's, you're going to have to talk to Nick about that. Like he's, cause I, I don't, I just know that he, I know that he did it. I don't know how he did it. 
it's magic. <laughs> well, I love the melody and I thought it works really well in the movie. And you can't have a Tweety and Sylvester movie without having a musical moment. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. it, it just goes to tell you, like, Looney Tunes has music mm-hmm. integrated in it. So it just if makes sense. He likes sense. music. Uh, he's on... I, I know he's he's been starting to put up like a handful of the tracks on YouTube. So if you want to listen to him while you're working or doing anything, um, they're all on YouTube. And there's also he recorded, you know, the medley that we use on the in the credits. Like he recorded a whole video for that that looks real, real nice. Um, check that out. Um, yeah, I thought that was great. Yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and he just did that for fun because he wanted to. Like it was totally unnecessary, but he was he was just like, yeah, I want to promote the movie. I want to promote the music, and uh, it turned out so good so check that out too give that some love but um yeah if you, if you like the music it's on youtube and probably other places too but i know youtube first talking about promoting this movie uh i think you did a diy promotion where you took 80s computer ads and put tweety and sylvester's face on these uh the models uh was yeah, that all so your idea <laughs> Yeah, that's not my idea because WB didn't know I did that. I, I just did that for fun. I so here's the, like us who make the movie, like the the story team, the designers, the advertising team is completely separate people. We we just make the gold. We don't market it. We don't we don't pick when it comes out. I don't. I have very little to say with the trailer, um, you know, or the ads or the marketing. But I can make my own ads and my own time on the weekend for fun. And so that's what I did because most there you go. the um, because it's a movie targeted at kids, the target audience isn't really on Twitter, but like uh, but I am. So I'm like, well, let me do something for Twitter. And that is those kind of like ads that are a picture with the character's face drawn on it. All my Unikitty episodes I've got. I, I did those, too. And for Teen Titans Go and like all that stuff. That's that's just one of my trademarks is because. Um, it's easier than drawing a whole new picture. Um, you just find a funny photo and then also everybody's like, Oh, I li-, and people like them. So I, I keep doing them. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, that was, that was just me going rogue. Um, <laughs> I thought it was great. Yeah. But I mean like WB, what's, you know, it's like, it's me doing it on my own time. It's just for characters in a movie that I directed, you know, but I can do, I can do fan art of my own movie. <laughs> Nobody can stop me. So nobody can stop you. So uh, draw as much as you want, viewers, listeners, or or talk about it as much as you want, uh, yeah. and and share this podcast with people who think that they would want to be, or they would want to check this out, and they don't know what it's about. Um, it's a really fun movie, and I highly recommend it. As a Looney Tunes fan, I highly recommend it. So a lot of people, when the trailer came out, uh, they they got a lot of Sylvester and Tweety mysteries vibes. And mm-hmm. even with the DVD, which you can purchase now, it's available everywhere you buy DVDs and Amazon. Uh, you can also rent the movie or purchase it digitally on all digital streamers and platformers. It's on YouTube. It's on Google Play. It's on iTunes. It's on Amazon. It's on really. If you if you Google like Stream King Tweety, it, like if the WB website says everywhere you can buy it and everywhere you can stream it, and it's like everywhere. There you go. It's- it's on xfinity i know uh, i think they're doing banner ads for xfinity so like really it's just like do you have a way to access movies <laughs> it's there so a lot of people were thinking this is like our small reboot of the sylvester and tweety mysteries did you look at the the template that was in that show for this movie or was this a whole like you know coming at it fresh and obviously you know using what warner brothers wanted to do yeah and- 
uh, leaping off so of that. We, yeah, we came at it fresh. So kind of, may, I think the reason people may be saying that is so kind of, I mean, I uh, Austin and I, when we were trying to figure out how everything, what we wanted it to look, um, you know, it's like Sylvester and Tweety have remained relatively like consistent over the course of the cartoons, but Granny has looked her design has varied wildly um like sometimes you know she looks more like a human woman sometimes she's like much shorter and has that square kind of chuck jones head right um and like sometimes she's got a pointier face sometimes she's got a rounder face uh really every time we see her she looks totally different so austin and i were like well which granny do we want to use for this and it's uh kind of we both were kind of just like well, when I close my eyes and imagine Granny, the Granny I see is like we both imagined a very specific Granny, and then we were both looking it up. It was the Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries Granny. Okay, so we're like both of us. So it's kind of like when you ask somebody, it's like close your eyes and imagine James Bond, and depending on who you are, you'll think it's Pierce Brosnan or you know Sean Connery or Daniel Craig or yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. like when we imagined it the Sylvester and Treaty Mysteries granny is like, that's the granny I think of first. And we both independently figured that out. So it's like, okay, that's the granny we're going to use. So we based her model off of that one. Okay. Um, and I think that maybe is what's dry. And then just the fact that they're going on a plot driven adventure for longer than 10 minutes, I think also gives off Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries vibes because they're going somewhere and there is kind of a mystery they need to solve. So just, there is a mystery, (laughs) but like we didn't, I, um, mostly like when it came to looking for inspiration, we were watching the original shorts, like in terms of tone and poses, but her uh, granny is based on the Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries granny. Cool. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. That's an exclusive. <laughs> it's an exclusive. Yeah. And then that was funny. They added those Sylvester and Tweety mysteries to the DVD, which was um, like a bonus. I didn't know they were going to do. Yeah. There are three shorts that are with the DVD mm-hmm. purchase. And uh, that's, uh, you know, a unique way to get people that haven't seen that show to be reinvigorated with it. And then the entire series is on HBO Max. Can we ever mm-hmm. expect King Tweety to show up on HBO Max? I don't know, Jonathan. <laughs> I hope so. One can hope. Well, I'm always for supporting Tweety. HBO Max, what's that? <laughs> I don't know. So any way that you can purchase this movie, go out and, and rent it, go out and buy it, and watch this with your family. This is such yeah. a really fun, new, reinvigorated movie and story that, uses these characters and these templates in a brand new way. And I thought that it was so inventive with not only their camaraderie, but their brotherly love and, and the way granny is just a a daredevil on a scooter. Like just the whole thing about this movie. I just love it to pieces. So thank you again for uh, bringing this to us and for, Mm -hmm. uh, for being on the podcast and talking about it. Uh, Is there anything else you want to add? I mean, really quick, I want to say John did an amazing job as the villain um, in this movie. He's he's doing like the classic villain voice in a way that so few people can. He's so funny. Um, also, John has he has a comedy album that just came out. Like it's all songs called Ding Dong Delicious. So go go get his album. Uh, check it out. Get, get yourself a double dose of John Daly, uh, as both Diego and himself in music form. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, it's just. Uh, 
the crew did an amazing job. The actors did an amazing job. Like the art team, the story team, the production crew. We we made this entire movie from home. Um, this movie was made. Nobody was in the office when we made this. Um, we the um, the animation industry has kept the entertainment industry afloat throughout this pandemic. Yes, and, it has um, very much so. That it say we were the only one of the only people who were one of the only people. We were one of the only industries that could uh, keep going, you know, when COVID shut everybody down. And the amount of work that my crew, you know, both the people who draw and the production team, so the people who organize everything and you know help make sure the movie is organized and gets made and everything's going where it needs to. Um, I was about to say my hat goes out to them. That's not the phrase, but uh, my hat, I take, I tip my hat to them. They're very good. This was, I don't know. It was just, everybody did did an amazing job. Everybody worked so hard and the movie looks great. And I'm very proud of everybody who worked on it. And I hope to work with all of them again. um, I concur. concur. You know, whatever, whatever's next in the pipeline that I may or may not be allowed to talk about, but it's, um, you know, it's it's a really good movie. We all really uh, loved making it. We um, uh, and every, everybody on this movie was very excited to make it, and um, we we hope you like it too. You know, absolutely. And I I know my listeners will love it. Uh, so you just got to go check it out. Um, real quick, I wanted to give a shout out to some of the cameos, the Looney Tunes franchise cameos that appear in this, uh, featuring Dan Backslide from the Dover Boys. Uh, mm-hmm. is on a New York train and gets slapped by Granny. How great is that? <laughs> and then Nasty Canasta cameo uh, as a hot dog vendor from Drip Along Daffy. Um, uh, like, did Dora you... Standpipe's on the on the subway with Dan Backslide too? Yes, she yes, she is. Them. And did did you come he up with these? Punched by her and by Granny on two different occasions for looking at them. <laughs> did you come up with those cameos? Tweety was always going to talk about like, here's how it is in New York, you know, because it's like. The whole movie is like, you know, wow, we get to leave New York. How lame. And we get to go on vacation. But then when he sees Auga, you know, who she's like, wow, New York. That's amazing. Tell me about New York. So it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's uh, where you live is cool, too. You just don't notice because you live there every day. But um, he was always going to tell her about, like, here's all the New York stuff. And it's just um, and it was just like, oh, it'd be funny if we we got some cameos in here. So we saw, you know, who we were allowed to use. And then they were all because, you know, Warner Brothers owns them. So it's like, okay, great. And so we threw them in there. Love it. Um, And I'm glad everybody noticed them and uh, caught them. It's just really rare to see Doris Standpipe and Dan Backslide in anything. (laughs) So kudos to the team for using those two characters. I was about to say, I love the Dover Boys. I I don't, I mean, it's weird that Doris Standpipe is like their collective girlfriend, but um, <laughs> like, I don't know, that cartoon's so weird. I love it. And I, I don't know why, like, I, I want to see more, you know, of those characters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Well, Kareem, thank you so much for being yeah. on the show. Where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me online on Twitter, mostly. Um, that Twitter's where I'm the most active. I like to, I'll post, um, I always post, you know, clips of like my boards or like animatics for my episodes for those people who want to see kind of just like the steps to getting a cartoon made. Um, And then so Twitter is where I'm the most active. I mean, I also have my website, which is more of a professional website, but KareenEngel.com, where just like if you want to see things I've worked on, I have it all kind of cataloged there. 
And then, um, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Instagram and, uh, I'm on Tumblr, but the stuff on Instagram and Tumblr is the same stuff that's on Twitter, just like a little bit later. So I, I've been, I'm on all those things. If you want the, the freshest stuff coming at you right away, Twitter, but really if you Google my name, you'll find it. I'm the only Korean angle awesome. floating around in the ether. And if you're a fan of animation, as I know you are, dear listener, definitely give her a follow and keep up with what she's got going on. Cause it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And you can always follow the podcast over at Instagram and Facebook at This Means Pod or Twitter at OFC This Means Pod. Uh, I just changed it, so I got to (laughs) remember to add the OFC. But uh, yeah, uh, this has been a pleasure and a joy. Uh, Thank you, Corrine, for talking to me about King Tweety, the latest feature from Warner Brothers Animation. Go out, rent this movie, check it out. You will not be disappointed. And that's not all, folks. Alexa, buy King Tweety on DVD. Um, <laughs> buy multiple copies of King Tweety on DVD because it makes an excellent gift for friends, family, loved ones, strangers. Uh, Just hand it to strangers on the street. They'll, they'll thank you. 